Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Would you just put your hands together and welcome Pastor Anthony to the stage. Thanks, Bill. It occurred to me when you said that, that if you just put your hands together, that's... It's a much quieter welcome. I'm glad everybody did it repeatedly over and over again. Yes, yes, yeah, repeat. All right, well, good morning. I'm Pastor Anthony. Normally, I preach over at the Vine Campus where I'm the site pastor, and today I am pleased to be with you guys this morning. And we are continuing Be Light, our teaching through First John. Now, before we get going, if you're visiting, we usually try to do this through one book of the Bible a year, and we teach ex- or expositorily right through it. So we do this crazy thing where we read the Bible together in church. And that's pretty, I know, it's nuts. And that's pretty much the message. And we dig into the text and we just try to get as much out of it as we can. So this is going to be different than what we normally do, but we love this too. And in fact, I, I think I may be starting to prefer it. So cat's out of the bag now. So we're talking about First John. Before we start something new, let's review who this John guy was and let's talk about last week. That's my, that is not my slide. There we go. Excellent. Be light, First John. First thing, John who? Who is this guy that's writing this letter that we're going to read? First, he was a fisherman. Now, this means that he wasn't the 4.0 student in, in school. He didn't get picked to be apprenticed to a rabbi, but he did get to go to the family business. So he's a working man. And him and his brother James were working on fishing when Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, you know what, I'm a rabbi that thinks you have what it takes to follow me and learn what I have to teach. Would you like to follow me? And they said, absolutely. And the Bible says these young fishermen, James and John, left their father's nets and went and followed Jesus. Very soon after, Jesus gives them a nickname. These guys get a moniker, and that is Sons of Thunder. Does anybody have a brother in the house? Anybody? I didn't. I had a sister. Oh, man. So you guys can probably understand how you could be sons of thunder if you've seen your own interactions with your brother, if you've seen brothers interacting. My guess is this this was an incendiary pair. I think these were an explosive couple of guys, James and John. And I think Jesus looked at them with the other ten, and maybe together they all gave them the nickname. I don't know, sons of thunder, but you guys are something else. And I would like to challenge us to think of John as a son of thunder throughout this whole message, and I'll say why in a second. John, along with James and Peter, famous foot-in-the-mouth apostle for some reason, the sons of thunder and Peter were Jesus' inner circle, which may say more about Jesus than those three guys. And so those were the people that Jesus wanted along with him. Every time something super awesome or really challenging was about to happen, he's like, Peter, James, John, let's go get this, guys. So John was there at the transfiguration. He got to be blown away and shocked by seeing Jesus in his glory out of nowhere, unexpectedly, before the crucifixion. He was one of those guys. This was one of the people, when Jesus wanted to to raise somebody from the dead, he's like, everybody get out of the room. Well, you guys come in here. You, You guys need to see this. So he was there for all the coolest stuff, man. He was one of the inner circle. And he's also described in the Bible as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, I want to pause here for a second to make a point. When I have thought of John in my life, before I went to school and learned about who he really was and why he wrote, I thought he was, God forgive me, I thought he was kind of the pansy disciple 
You know, he's kind of the soft guy. You know, everything he writes seems to be about love and loving one another and loving each other. And I read about the Last Supper, and they all seem to be normal, and, except there's John. And he's, like, reclining against Jesus. And I'm like, what is your deal, man? You know what I mean? And he's, everything about it just seems to paint this picture. He's just, you know, God love him. He's just kind of a wimp. And I have been challenged to radically reverse my view of the Apostle John. He may have been the disciple Jesus loved, and back in the day, maybe bros could, like, lean against each other. I, I don't do that with Daniel Sager or Chris Flaw, but maybe they would back in the day. But this guy's not a wimp. He's a son of thunder the whole way through, and we're going to encounter that in this series. He's a disciple Jesus loved. He's a pillar of the early church. When the Apostle Paul showed up in Jerusalem, and he had to give an account of what he had been doing out there in the rest of the world, one of the guys that was listening to him to decide whether or not he was, gets the stamp of approval from the early church was John. You know, he's a, he's a pillar. He's a somebody. He's famous for his love language. But he is a ferocious enemy of heresy. Has anybody ever heard of a guy named Serinthus, who I had not heard of before I started studying this? Anybody? That's actually good. That means that John was successful in many of his writings. So this dude who showed up late in the first century, named Serinthus, starts teaching all this weird stuff. And it's, it's the beginnings of what would become Gnosticism, if you've heard that term. We're not going to go deep into that this morning. But these people just believe some really weird stuff that was not compatible with Christianity. But they kind of hijacked some Christian thought and principles into their belief structure. So they believed weird stuff like spiritual things are really, really, really good, but all material things, so like my body, this desk, they're not so good at best, and evil at worst. So to them, they, they thought, man, these Christians are teaching that a good spiritual God became incarnate in flesh, in matter. They're like, that, that everybody knows that can't happen. You know, a spiritual God would never do that. So they started teaching different ways that Jesus wasn't God. So that does not jive with the Son of Thunder. And so John becomes an enemy of this person individually and his teaching. In fact, there's an old story that John was walking into a bathhouse as an older man with his disciples, and all of a sudden he turns around and starts running out, and he yells to his disciples behind him, Fly, lest the bathhouse fall in on us. For Serinthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. He walks in, sees this guy, and he's like, oh, the wrath could fall right here, right now, and I don't want to be caught up in it. So he's like, come on, guys, we're, we're scooting out of here. This is not a wimp, all right? This is a guy who takes the faith very seriously. He takes truth very seriously, and he wants us to take it seriously as well. He is the love apostle, man. He does love you, and we'll talk about that later too. But he is heavy hitting. He is not wearing gloves, and he loves you enough to be honest. And that's what we're going to encounter this morning. Let's review last week. Last week we did 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to 2, verses, 2, verse 6. And we discovered that this last three verses, 3 to 6 in chapter 2, are a phenomenal summary and conclusion of everything he had said up to this point. So we're just going to hit this before jumping into the next section. Chapter 2, verse 3, John says this, By this we know that we have come to know him. Here's the acid test, guys. If we keep his commandments. Are you doing what he said to do? Are you living the way he said to live? And to sum up what he'd said already in chapter 1 and 2, this would be walking in the light. 
This would be the type of life that has fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers. This is the type of lifestyle that can be constantly assured that you are being actively, right now, in the present, cleansed from any sin that might happen. That's really good. Verse 4, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, that's a punch right in the mouth, isn't it? And this is just one of many in the first section we read. He said that if you think you're without sin, you're lying to yourself. He said that if you say you know God while you walk in darkness, you're a liar. And if you think you've never sinned, you're actually calling God a liar. And so his summary of these people who are so deceived, they don't even know their own situation, he's like, the truth is just far from these people. They've got no share in the truth at all. This is not a wimp, as we should see already. This is a son of thunder writing us truth for our own good. And then he concludes with 5 and 6. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. His word means his commands and his character. To sum up, John is saying, are you the real deal? Here's how you can tell. Do you look more and more like Jesus? In action and in thought, is your character becoming more and more like God's? That's what it means to walk in the light, guys. And I want the church to look like this because what did he say last week? What's the reason he's writing it? To complete his own joy. Nothing would make John happier than looking out at the church and saying, there's a bunch of people that have great fellowship with each other, have great fellowship with God, are walking in the light, live in constant assurance that they're forgiven. Like, Man, that's where it's at. That would make John happy. Do we want to be that kind of people? Laura Shockley, can you give me a loud amen? Amen! Thank you, guys. If I say amen throughout the message, can we imitate that? Feel free. No pressure, but that was, that was a really good one. Thank you, Laura. Let's dig into this, the new, the theologically uh, correct term, I believe, is chunk. The new chunk of scripture we're going to do today, which is, that's right, amen. And you divide chunks into bits, amen. First John, yes, very good. <laughs> so good. First John chapter 2, verses 7 to 17, which I've given the somewhat cute name, love-hate relationships. I'm going to read the whole thing for us. Beloved. I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives, how long? Forever. Forever. Amen. Amen. That was a test. That was really good. So that's the bit we're going to talk about. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm messing up already. That's the chunk. Here's the first bit. Seven and eight. First thing we see, beloved. Beloved. Why do I want to talk about this? Because this guy is not pulling any punches. How many times has he already called people liars and said they're walking in the darkness? I mean, he's, he's pretty serious. You know, this is, this is not a, a beating around the bush type of letter. This is pointed. It's serious. He started out with all this language. Do you remember about... The word which was from the beginning, which we saw, which we touched, which we observed with our own eyes. All of that is a punch in the face to this teaching that said Jesus could not possibly have been God. That God would never come in the flesh. He's like, oh yeah? We touched it. We saw it. Me. I'm writing to you about what I saw and touched. God was flesh. Take that, Serenthus. It starts out heavy-handed, and it continues even to now. But who is he writing to? What is his mindset to his readers? You, in John's mind, are the beloved. He's not angry. He's passionate. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He is deeply concerned that you get this right. He loves us. All healthy authority should have this attitude towards the people they lead. So that the things that they say, even if they're harsh, should be well received. Amen. Amen. Very good. Beloved. I'm not writing you something new. He says several times here. Well, let me get this right. Bam. I'm not writing a new commandment. I'm writing an old commandment. You've had this old commandment forever. I'm not going to tell you something you don't know. And what is the old commandment that he's pulling from that they've had forever? It's the word. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard the word for word. And that word, man, that's a lot of word, is logos. Who's heard the word logos floating around? This is a pretty common one. Now, there's an interesting possible play on words going on here because John and lots of other Jewish writers would use the word for word as a stand-in for the name of God. He's already done this in chapter 1. When he's talking about the word that's been from the beginning, who does he mean? He means Jesus, right? But word can also refer to the entire body of a teacher's teaching, a whole philosophy. Like, uh, Justin, do you live according to Rabbi Mike's word? And Justin would say, absolutely, I follow his word. But he doesn't mean what he said last Tuesday at 2.30, right? He means the whole body of his thought, his whole philosophy on life. That's what I ascribe to. So we have kind of a wordplay on the word word here. What does John mean they should abide in? Jesus or Jesus' teaching? Yes. Absolutely. The word. Capital T, capital W. That's the commandment. Super simple, guys. Could have ended it right there. Just be like Jesus in every possible way. Well, he wants to focus on something a little more specific than that. So he says, on the other hand, I am writing you a new commandment. It's not so new. He's just highlighting part of the old one, but he wants him to know it's coming. And this commandment that I'm about to write to you, this highlighted portion of the truth you've had since the beginning, is true in him, and it's true in you. In John chapter 1, he said that God is light, right? And in him there is no darkness at all. So when he says it's true in him, we get that, because he says... The darkness is passing away, actually right now, in the process of passing away, 
and the true light is actually right now in the process of shining. That's how he knows it's true. Of course that's true in him, right? But he's saying that's also true in you. In you, reader. He's like, I might be heavy-handed. I might be a son of thunder. I have no problem calling people liars, but I want you to know. I see it in you. The darkness is already passing away. Right now, it's less and less, and the true light is already beginning to shine. So receive this command that I'm about to give you, knowing that this is my heart, beloved. All right? And then he goes on a long digression. <laughs> You'd expect him to just give the command, right? Like, okay, here's the command. Great. It's true in him, and it's true in us. What is it? But first, he wants to beat us up some more with this contrast. You know, there's no gray with John, right? You're either in the light or you're in the dark. You're good or you're evil. You're in, you're out. Man, this guy doesn't pull any punches for sure. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother. This is a person that if you were to ask them, Brother Jimmy, I don't know, I'm just picking a name. I can't, it's dangerous to pick names because there's people, I'm not talking about you, Jimmy, I'm sorry. <laughs> now it's safe, right? So, hey, Jim, are you in the light or not? I'm like, yes, absolutely, I abide in the light. Well, what do you think of Todd? Well, Todd's a schmuck. <laughs> well, how can you say that about Todd? Well, just because Todd's a complete schmuck and everybody knows it doesn't mean I'm not in the light. Oh, according to John, it does. And not only are you not in the light, but the one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. It's not even an in and out kind of thing. John is saying, you've never even been here. What did I already say? To be in the light is to first have fellowship with each other, and our fellowship is with God. They go hand in hand. If you're hating somebody in the church and you're saying you're in the light, I've got some news. You're in the darkness until this very moment. You've been there and you're still there. Now some contrast. John is the king of contrast. But the one who loves his brother abides in the light. And this word is so great. It can actually mean a residence, like where are you living? Where are you abiding? And John uses it frequently to describe the perseverance of believers in the relationship to Jesus. He's like, but you show, me, you show me a person that hates his brother and says he's in the light. That guy's been in darkness the whole time. But you show me a guy who really loves his brother the way God loves us. He's like, oh, that guy's just living in the light. He just abides there all the time. And not only that, but that kind of person has no cause for stumbling in him. There's no nasty, scandalizing presence just waiting to manifest in his gut. But the person who's walking around pretending to be in the light, that has a huge chip on his shoulder and a grudge against his brothers and sisters, by extension, he does. It's waiting to come out. But this person that abides in the light doesn't. John said, you can trust these people. They're trustworthy. It's good. Now let me talk about the one who hates his brother again, because I'm going to beat him up some more. Thank you, son of thunder. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he's going because the darkness, lots of darkness going on, has blinded his eyes. This is a super bad spot. Let's not read right by this. This person, Jim, not that Jimmy, Jim, who's deceived and says he's in the light but hates Todd, John says this guy isn't where he thinks he is, isn't living like he thinks he's living, isn't going where he thinks he's going, and also doesn't know that he doesn't know it because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And that is why John is doing the beloved the courtesy of slapping them in the face 
with this truth. Somebody needs to let you know where you are. Somebody needs to open your eyes to your situation. Look, you can't live this way. You can't hate each other. We need to have fellowship with each other and with God. So at this point, it's appropriate to pause. And I'm not going to call on people and don't yell out names for crying out loud. If you're super convicted, come forward. But who is it? Is there someone? And there doesn't have to be. You know, and, and I think this goes beyond being miffed at someone or being offended. No pointing, Andy Sager, stop it. This isn't the time to solve it. It's coming later. That's true, I didn't. Amen. Amen. So good. But seriously, ask yourself, is there a person? It's not just that they did something to me last week that I'm having a hard time with. It is an abiding dislike, bordering on hatred. You find yourself constantly justifying the darkness and tenacity of that feeling. When you go to church, that's the person you hope isn't there. I really hope they went to second service this week. They're the whole reason you stopped going to that service and went to the other one, and you won't even admit that to yourself. Come on. This has happened to me. It happens to lots of people. Believe it or not, I've actually gotten under people's skin myself. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes. There, there's more accuracy there than a lot of people know, I think. <laughs> but you know what, brothers and sisters? That is not the end. Resolve it. And I'm here to invite you to resolve it yourself if you can. 5 a.m. in a prayer time with Jesus, let him adjust your heart. Repent and let it change. If that will do it. And if that can't do it, schedule the meeting. And if you need a third party, we've got several good third party options at this church. Fix it. That cannot be allowed to persist. It is a darkness invitation. It's got to stop. Let's pass that offering basket again. Man, that was good. Everybody's encouraged. <laughs> Let's move on to the next bit. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been free. Before I get into this, let me just say, this whole thing could be a poem, all right? If you look in your Bible, it might even be written in verse, okay? Now, John writes differently than, say, Paul. And I, I was a teacher that pointed this out to me, and it's so true. This isn't my analogy. But he's like, Paul writes very linearly. He's like, how are you doing? Blessings. Hey, I hear this is going on. This is what I think about it. This is what you should do about it. And this is when I'm coming to make sure you did it. Blessings. <laughs> a, B, C, D, done. Letter from Paul. We got a new one. Like, greetings, things to change, implement. He's coming on Tuesday. Fantastic. Everything's happening on Tuesday this morning. But John does not write that way. John is more mystical. He's more poetic. He writes in a roundabout way. He uses repetition. He uses, he, you know, he's just different. His personality comes through. And even in his heavy-handed son of thunderness, you get the idea that this guy's kind of maybe a contemplative. You know what I mean? But this section is over and above even the rest of the letter. I really think this might be a poem. It's got a lot of repetition. It's got a lot of recurring themes. And I think it's meant to encourage. John has really been putting it to us, man. He really has. He's given us a lot to think about and a lot to change. And I think this is designed to encourage the readers. Some people will see in this section that uh, John is addressing different maturity levels because he talks about little children, fathers, sons. If you want to believe that and you have good reasons for it, awesome. Enlighten me later. I'm inclined to believe that it's just a poetic way of referring to everyone. He addresses it to little children, and I think we can all be encouraged by what he writes. And this is what he says about the group. 
He says, I'm writing to you little children because, and let's take this to heart, your sins have been forgiven. You know him. You have overcome the evil one. You know the Father. You know him who has been from the beginning. You are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Man, so we do get some encouragement from his, him as well, right? He's like, I'm going to give you a commandment. It's coming. You haven't got it yet, but it is coming. Trust me. And I know it's true in him, and it's true in you. Because when I look at you, readers, I see the darkness already passing away and the light shining. You're forgiven. You've overcome the evil one. When? In the future? No, now. He's defeated. The light has come. You're different. You're not that person anymore. Your sins are forgiven. You do know the Father right now. And then he has this wonderful poetic structure. I am writing to you. I am writing to you. I am writing to you. I have written to you. I have written to you. I have written to you. I really do believe it's a poem. I don't know if John composed it himself, but it wouldn't shock me. Little poetic discourse to encourage the readers. So are we encouraged? I hope so. Because the new command is coming next. And, and again, this is just a portion of the overall teaching they've had from the beginning that he really wants to highlight. And he highlights it because they need to hear it. We need to hear it. It's hard. It's one sentence, but it's difficult. And this is the new command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Heavy hitting. But some people may notice a possible inconsistency here. We've got a repetition of the word world. And how are we supposed to relate to the world? We're supposed to not love it, right? What's the most famous verse in the Bible again? John 3.16, where God so loved the world. Who wrote John 3.16 again? Oh, it was John. It was the same guy. Like, what is he doing? Did he forget? Well, we have to talk about a little bit of nuance in the word world here. So it's, it's common, actually, in John and Paul to use this word to refer to the mass of humanity or humans in general. And in John 3.16, this is exactly what he means. God so loved all these people that he was willing to die so that none of them would perish. But that's not what it means here. In this verse and in many similar verses, it actually means this present evil age that the Bible describes as being ruled by the evil one. It's everything that God wouldn't put his stamp of approval on in every culture, in every way of thinking, in every system in the entire world. It's every way of doing things that is contrary to God's way of doing things. It's every impulse, it's every desire, it's every thought. And John is saying, you can't fall in love with that. Why the big buildup? Because it's hard not to. Because there's a certain weird seduction that makes us want to love the stuff, exactly the stuff that we're not supposed to love. It's a pull that is not compatible with the love of God. One or the other will kick the other one out of the house of your heart. If you harbor the love for this world, everything that God wouldn't put his stamp of approval on, love for God is just not going to hang out. Impossible. A man can't serve two masters. They are in conflict. And John is saying, look, you've got to guard yourselves. You've got to watch yourselves and make sure this doesn't creep in because it's easy to let it creep in. Remember, you're the beloved. Remember, you're my little children. Remember, your sins are forgiven. But you've got to be on guard. And in the next bit, he gives us the what and the why. He tells us what exactly he's talking about when he says the world. Here it is. All that is in the world is what, John? Tell us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
the boastful pride of life. Pause. We hear lust. We think sex. Thank you. I'm only one brave person. I appreciate that. You know, this church has an awkwardly healthy view of sexuality. I just want to say that. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. amen. We did two amens at Vine. Uh, <laughs> you can go back and listen to our awkwardly healthy, I would call them, uh, sermons on sexuality. They're all online. We're not prudes, and neither is John, okay? He's not. This can refer to unhealthy sexual desire, but this word lust, it can mean any intense, impulsive desire or inner motivation for things that God would not want you to feel that way about. And in Jewish thought, this was condemned equally with the actions that came out of it. Not just the thing you did, but that engine inside you that made you want to go in that direction. Both are condemned. And it's the engine, the internal motivation. People who struggle with addiction are familiar with this. It's like there's this thing outside themselves, in themselves, driving them to do something. Nasty. And if we're not careful, we'll fall for it. We can't let that grow inside us. This can be for money. This can be for status. This can be for just about anything, not just sex. It's a compulsive desire for X that God would not put his stamp of approval on. It's outside of his character. And the boastful pride of life is deceptively similar. This is anything that you are tempted to orbit around that isn't Jesus. This is anything you think makes you better than other people. Anything you're, you're tempted to brag about. When you walk into a room with your shoulders back and your head up because it's, you think, well, I've got X. Because of that, I can have confidence. If that thing isn't Jesus Christ in your relationship as a son or a daughter, you're out of line. I'm out of line. We can do this with anything. I have a professor right now to give an example of, of what this isn't. And uh, he's retiring, and I was looking at his retirement stuff and just looking out over his life, and it's amazing what this guy's done. He's got three PhDs. How do you have enough money and time and brain power to get three PhDs? That's craziness. And yet, I was talking to the guy a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about his philosophy on teaching. And he said, man, I love teaching. And to me, it's all the same. He's like, I'll teach a Sunday school class for free to a bunch of fifth graders. Or I'll teach here. Or I'll teach at a community college. Or I'll go across the street and help that seminary put together a doctoral program. He's like, I don't care. I'm just happy to teach. I love preparing God's people. It's incredibly humble, right? No doubt he feels a sense of satisfaction about what he's accomplished. But that's not the boastful pride of life. I've had the displeasure of sitting under a person who had just completed his doctoral program, just one, Pfft, come on, one doctor, <laughs> hardly trying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you could barely stand to be in the room with this guy. Like every five minutes he was bringing it up. And it's like, my gosh, you want me to rub your feet and bring you a coffee too? Man. But no, I don't hate him. No, not at all. That's resolved, Laura. <laughs> 5 a.m. this morning, me and Jesus. I had an adjustment. Thank you. We can do that with a 5K time. We can do that with a squat PR. We can do that with the employee of the month pet plaque or the numbers we just got at work. Anything that makes you want to get cocky or think you're better than someone else is inappropriate. That is the boastful pride of life that isn't from Jesus. Let our confidence, let the thing we orbit around, let the thing that makes us put our head back and our shoulders back be Jesus and nothing else. That's how you can tell. Because the world is passing away, and also its lusts.
This is the why. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. This answers a wonderful question that you may be asking or may not, and that is, what would make John happy? What would make his joy complete? Well, the answer to that is similar to why he wants us to be in the light and why he wants us not to sin. Why has he been so stern with us? Why has he been a big meanie sometimes, slapping us in the face, making us realize things we don't even want to look at? And the reason is because we're the beloved to him. We're the little children. His heart beats for our well-being, and he wants the best for us. He wants us to attain eternal life with God, and he wants us to avoid every pitfall that might endanger that. And he's willing to tell us what we don't want to hear in order to get us there. Sometimes that's what love looks like. In that spirit of ruthlessly looking at our lives, deciding whether or not we've fallen for some of the loves that we shouldn't have fallen for, and whether our love for God has waned, let's evaluate whether or not we're as in the light as we've thought. But I'd like to give you a sentence to contemplate, and this isn't from me, this is from somebody else, I forget who, maybe C.S. Lewis, he says a lot of smart things. But here it is. To always obey God is to always act with your own best interests in mind. It sounds so selfish, but it's paradoxically true. Be in the light. Make John happy and do it for your own good. Thank you, guys. Here's Bill. Yeah, so I'm here to wrap it up. Let's just think about it. We'll put a little bow on that. It was a, a nice, wonderful gift of a message. Put a little bow on it. Thank you, John. Thank you, Pastor Anthony. Very good. Um, would you stand with me? We're just going to close in prayer. Let's reflect a little bit as we pray about what we just heard about, you know, what do we desire, you know? Is it this world? Is it, is it truly God and his goodness? Um, you know, we can take a minute to reflect on that. Do we have those relationships in our lives that are difficult? <laughs> it looks a little bit like what Pastor Anthony described as, as hating our brother or sister. So let's just reflect and pray, and um, you can even begin to pray about those issues if they come up. The prayer team will come up at the end here, and you can come and pray with them, but let's bow our heads. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we learned that John loves us so much that he'd be honest with us, even if it hurts a little bit to hear it. We thank you that you, in your goodness, love us so much that you would send your only son to die in our place to give us relationship with you, to cleanse us from our sins like we heard about in chapter 1 of 1 John. But that you love us enough to tell us the truth, too. Um, it's not easy to hear that we're lying to ourselves or that we're a liar, but we need to hear it if it brings us around. So God, we just open our mind and our heart to you to speak to us those areas of our lives that need to change for our own good because you are good and for the good of those around us that we love and care about. And those you love and care about, maybe we don't. God, we just allow you to speak to us about um, what we desire, what drives us inside, the things that are good and appropriate and the things that aren't, God. Thank you that you would be willing to shine the light on that so that it could be resolved that we could live the life you designed us to live in relationship with you and proper relationship with others.
we confess our sin, believing that you're faithful and just to forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. We look forward to what John talked about, eternal life with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. If you've not received eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord because he's not your Lord, I'd I'd welcome you to come and see someone from the prayer team. Take advantage of that gift. Um, You know, if you have any other prayer need whatsoever, come and see the prayer team. They're going to be available right now here on this black bordered carpet right there, ready to meet with you and pray with you. On the red bordered carpet is the Rhema team, people trained to hear God's voice, share an encouragement with you. Come and see them as well, especially if you haven't for a little while. They meet with one or two each time. Come back next week as we continue the First John series on being light. It will be great and enlightening. Um, enjoy time together. Enjoy the refreshments. Men, come to men's retreat this week if you would. I'm signed up. It's going to be a great time. If you haven't signed up, it's not too late. BLBC.com. With that, you're dismissed. Have a great week.